Artificial intelligence technologies are revolutionising project management. Be at the forefront of the latest news with Endeavour Program's AI for Project Success podcast, hosted by me, Rebecca Archer, a journalist and media industry professional with more than two decades of experience. On the podcast today, we're hearing from Nick Deeks, the Managing Director of the Australian arm of the international commercial and cost consultant WT Partnership. WT Partnership is part of a global tech alliance with Endeavour Program. Nick's career spans more than 39 years in the property and infrastructure sectors. He's been the MD of WT Partnership Australia since 2013 and is responsible for the operation and strategic business development of the group, including cultural change and digital transformation. Nick is joining the podcast by phone. Nick, thank you so much for your time today. Given your vast experience, what can you tell us about the benefits for businesses who are embracing AI to achieve the best possible project management outcomes? Hi, well, thanks for um, inviting me onto the podcast. That's a big question. It's a, it's a very tricky subject, isn't it? AI, technology, robotics, everything else that's happening within every sector, not just our sector and how that might affect project management. So as a business, we are more around cost consultancy, quantity surveying, uh, but we are working on introducing AI into our business. So for several years, I've been looking into productivity and efficiency improvement. And if there's a tool available or technology that's available that can help you do something in hours that used to take days, then why wouldn't you look at it? Especially if the outcome is more accurate. You know, the human brain is, a, is an amazing tool, but that doesn't mean that it can't be improved. So um, everything that I'm looking at for our business is, is future focused and what we can do to change the way we are, change the status quo, and make ourselves relevant moving forward. So we're all about embracing new technology. That's where we're heading and that's why we're looking at these technologies. And which industries would you say are at the forefront of adopting AI to help improve their productivity and save money on major projects? Well, it's been around. It's, it's not a new. It's not a new technology, is it? Obviously, early adopters include aeronautical and medical, military, car manufacturing. I think construction has been pretty slow to bring this in. Um, we've got engineers and architects that are using computer-aided design, and some clients that are um, embracing. BIM or building information modeling. I don't see that there's much widespread adoption of AI in the industry yet, which is one of the things I'm very passionate about and why I'm delighted to be part of the global partnership agreement with Endeavour and Mott McDonald in trying to drive innovation across the construction industry. From your experience, how have you seen Endeavour's pioneering software, Octant AI, provide benefits to businesses? Well, there's a yeah, there's a couple of examples. Obviously, in the in the early days, when we were we were looking and getting demonstrators, uh, the civil contractors in in Queensland that Endeavour have worked with, and how they managed to put some of their predictive analysis together based on their past project costing. But we've actually run a series of trials ourselves in house to understand and try and provide ourselves with some better benchmarking analysis of our project costing. So. We put together cost estimates of cost plans for projects and any any kind of advantage that we can have in, in smart benchmarking of these is going to be an advantage to us. So 
we've run a couple of pilots on some residential high-rise projects and loaded that into the into the Optum AI. Kong's uh, run his algorithm through that to, to produce a series of benchmarks. And unfortunately, the information out is only as good as the information in, and our information has been put together within software packages that were not designed or didn't anticipate AI and predictive analysis when they were put together. So a lot of it is not that searchable. It's not readable. So we're in this kind of middle ground where we have a lot of data, but that data uh, isn't readily accessible. So whilst we've undertaken a couple of studies, we can certainly see the benefits of it. It, it, There's a bit of work to be doing in-house on our own data to try and clean it up and put it into a format that Octum can read and, and understand. So the first part of that is, is obviously into some structured data, then we want to be looking at unstructured data. More broadly, how does Australia stack up in terms of innovation? And on that, who is potentially leading the way globally? My feeling is that Australia is not as innovative as it, as it once was. You know, Australia's had some fantastic inventions, the kind of the cochlear implant, the refrigerator, the escape slide, Wi-Fi, black box recorder. But for the past 30 years, there hasn't been that much in innovation. And, and innovation has pretty much come off the agenda. And certainly as far as the construction industry goes, we're still in the dark ages. And I haven't seen much of anything in terms of innovation and construction techniques, apart from the adoption from designers and architects that are, that are embracing some of this change. There are still new companies and startups looking into better connected technological environment, linking planning, costing, feasibility, uh, which we've spoken to a few of these people. They're, they're in early early days of startups. They've all got great ideas. I think one of the issues, in, it's, probably, it's probably a global issue, but certainly something that I see on a, on a more day-to-day basis in Australia is that no one really wants to be an adopter of early technology. And if you are an adopter, you've got to then try and bring an industry that is uh, inherently stuck in the past along with you. So it's re- you really are fighting a bit of a battle to get this stuff um, over the line. But, yeah, we've got drone technologies that are being used on civil projects for photographic recording and bulk measurement, topographical studies that are being used. So they certainly work out in, in more rural areas. It's, it's a little bit harder in some of the urban areas uh, and a lot of that just down to uh, um, legislation and regulation, which is really kind of preventing some of the progress in this area. What's the key driver to push Australia from being so enmeshed with traditional ways of doing projects into embracing a more innovative approach, including artificial intelligence and machine learning? Probably a reduction in the legislation and, and to enable adoption. I think that would be a lot easier. The parties need to want to be able to move forward. So you need adopters and followers. But at the moment, the majority don't want to be the early adopters. So embracing something new can initially seem to be slow. So we've had first-hand experience with this. We're bringing in some new um, technologies within our business and to try and get our own people to adopt this technology. They're very sceptical. Their starting position is very sceptical. So I think change as a whole is something that the industry and, and human beings really don't like. So 
Yes, they'll see a technology because it's something new and you've got to learn how to use it and taking a step backwards for a period of time because it will be slower and it's more cumbersome and you've got to learn how to use it. But you take one step back and move five steps forward. Um, unfortunately, just the rate of, you can call it if you like, busyness that, that, that people have uh, or perceived amount of work that they've got, they haven't got time to actually catch a breath look at something new and, and to enable themselves to be able to uh, move forward. So we, we, there's a real quandary in trying to get people to adopt. Um, there's obviously an investment. There's a time investment. There's a financial investment, um, communication investment. So it's got to come It's got to come from the top of a business. The whole business needs to be into it, but certainly the senior management leadership team of any business need to be very pro adoption of, of technology for it to start filtering through that organisation. You did mention regulation. I, I'm curious about how policymakers regulate an industry which is so at the cutting edge, I suppose. Is it possible for regulation to keep up with the advancements of things like artificial intelligence? Uh, I think it is, but it's probably not keeping up. But you know, I'll give you a couple of examples. The implementation of drones. So that's that's regulated by CAPA. Now you can't use drones within I forget what the what the distances are, but say four hundred meters of, of of the harbour, you can't go higher than you know, five hundred meters, they can't go out of visual sight, you can't move, move them too close to a, a building within the city where they could be they could be utilized for facade inspections or weak membrane integrity inspections. But it's difficult to be able to use them within the city because the rules and regulations about flying vehicles within proximity of buildings hasn't caught up. Another example in there is I was at a, was at a conference probably 18 months ago, and one of the speakers was genuinely talking about protecting robots' feelings and how lawyers need to start drafting legislation around robots' feelings. Now, it's not to say that they do or they don't. I mean, you've got to judge, a, you know, artificial intelligence is... is you can't be judged by, um, by human intelligence and human emotion. So uh, an AI machine may may have some kind of uh, may have some kind of feelings in there. But lawyers are trying to write legislation around it that is slowing the process down. Now, I'm not saying we've got to be moving at 100 miles an hour and not have legislation. But if we have too much legislation, then we're not going to be adopted because the rate of innovation is happening faster. So an idea can be Born, uh, and it can be implemented, but it can't. It can't come out into the market if the regulation is not there. By the time the regulation is put in place, that piece of technology could have easily been superseded. There's another piece of technology that's coming in that's even better. And then we're trying to write a piece of legislation around that new technology. Until we get that balance, then we're in this sort of stalemate of. Innovators are moving at one speed and the, the lawmakers and policy makers are moving at another speed. What do you see as the best way to educate people about the benefits of AI and, I guess, dispel any notions that real people will no longer be necessary? That's an interesting question because AI will totally disrupt everything we do. But that doesn't have to be scary. So... You can embrace that. It's going to enhance what we do. So one of the one of the reasons that it probably hasn't had such widespread adoption is because of fear. 
uh, you can't stop a tsunami. So why not look to divert it in the right direction? AI is coming, and we need to we need to embrace it, and we need to make it part of our business. It's not going to take everyone's jobs away. It will take jobs away, but other jobs will be created. So we still need programmers. We still need people to control the machines. We still need thinking to be done. There is still process that needs to happen, even in project management. An AI machine can do a lot of project management work. It can't do everything. It still needs a human touch. It's going to be a long time before a robot or or an AI machine um, and quantum computing is sufficiently uh, adopted across the world, but human beings are superfluous. So it doesn't have to be that scary, but it's everywhere. I mean, it's, it's in it's in finance, it's in healthcare, it's in music. You know, you've got virtual DJs on on, on Spotify. You've got um, Alexa and, and Google machines at home that you can ask and ask what the weather is and smart refrigerators that can order your food for you. So it's there. You know, and people are people are happy to take it on in, in certain aspects. But in other aspects, they don't want it. So I think if we all can just, and it's got to start at the, at the younger level because um, at school, people are growing up with that technology. My daughter's 23. She's had technology at her fingertips all the, you know, since she was a little baby. Very different from me, from my generation. And I'm sure when she has children, they'll be even more au fait with the whole technology. You know, these people don't even know what a CD is or certainly wouldn't know what a tape is or LP. And I suppose with those younger generations coming through and growing up, there will sort of be, I guess, dying off that real fear factor like you mentioned or the reluctance to adopt and to move forward and to embrace this because it's just been part of these people's lives. I think that's right. It's it's ironic. You know, there was a, uh, I think I saw a, uh, a YouTube or a podcast clip on on. The people that are, um, are making the laws and, and are running the big corporations are the wrong generation for the mental capacity of new technology. So everybody in their sort of early 20s to 30s, they've all started, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all, all of the smart technologies that are multi-billion dollar companies. But in effect, they're too young to, you know, be in government. So you've got everyone sitting around in their, in their 70s that are kind of running government, running the place, but they're not the ones who have got the technological background. So that's just going to, that's just going to wash through. That's just a matter of time. And that's probably, you know, a decade or two away until everybody in that older mindset, I'm not casting everyone with the same brush here, but um, as a general rule, someone in their 70s is not going to be technologically okay as someone in, in their mid-20s. So I think as that, as that washes through the system, then it will become more. But having said that, it doesn't mean that the technology of today is as far as it goes because we are on a we're on a travelator on a hamster wheel. Once you're on this movement of change, it's only ever going to keep going. And we're really only at the you know, the tip of the iceberg of what technology can do. And Nick, for any businesses who are considering making perhaps some big structural changes to the way that they execute their projects, what sort of advice would you give them? I mean, I would imagine it could seem fairly daunting, maybe even to the point of overwhelm for some who are considering this as an option going forward. Um, it is. What is. What you need to do is just be able to sit down 
and have a, a, a clear vision of where you want your business to be. So you've got to think about your strategy. So you need a vision, you need a strategy. The strategy needs to have buy-in from the, from the boards and the shareholders and all stakeholders. The strategy for the business then needs to be mirrored with a technology strategy that's going to enable the fulfillment of your, of your vision. Um, you've got to be able to allocate investment um, from a time and a financial basis, constant communication with all members of your team, internal and external. And above all, it just needs a lot of energy. It's not something you can come up with an idea and think you're going to have it implemented the next week. It takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to just to keep going. And it's, and it's a moving target. That's the other interesting thing about it. So if you can have a clear vision of where you want to be in three, four, five years' time, and then you work out the steps in between to get there, that pathway is going to move because technology is moving at a faster rate than your business development is going to be moving. So you need to be flexible. And you need to start looking at uh, employing new skill sets within your business. So we're a firm of quantity surveyors. We've got data scientists. We've got architects. We've got engineers coming into our business. Not the traditional skills because the business of the future is going to be very different to what it is today. The role of a quantity surveyor, the role of a project manager is going to be very different in five or ten years' time to what it is now. So you've been very much driven by data science and understanding what a machine, the output of a machine, is going to be giving you and be able to provide some accurate longer-term advice around what that information actually means. So your, your, your skill set's different, your mindset needs to be different, and you've got to be far more agile and certainly more computer literate than a lot of people are. It's definitely worthwhile, and if everyone gave up, we wouldn't be moving forward. Absolutely. Nick Deeks, Managing Director of the Australian Arm of WT Partnership, thank you so much for your insights today and for your time. It's been really great to talk to you. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Endeavour Program's AI for Project Success podcast, offering insights and analysis on the impact artificial intelligence is having on project management.